Our reading starts in Acts chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. This is the story of Stephen. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and large numbers of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And now we jump to uh, chapter 7, verse 54. Chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, 
they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. This is the word of the Lord. As Andrew explained, at the 11.15 service uh, on the first Sunday of the month, we've been following a series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this Sunday we reach uh, the topic of uh, Stephen, about whom David has just read from the book of Acts. So before we look at this story, let's pray together. Our Father God, we pray for your Spirit to speak to us through this story of Stephen, and to show us how we need to respond to it. Amen. This is the description of Stephen. Chapter 6 and verse 5. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. When I worked at the university, I used to write references for former students. Sometimes I was asked specifically to comment on the suitability of a particular student for a job as described in the job description. And I had to extrapolate from my experiences of the person in one setting, that is a tutor, to that as how they might perform in a very different setting. On occasion, my imagination was sorely tried. Like the student who invariably submitted work late or forgot tutorials or classes, who was applying for a job in consultancy with tight deadlines on submitting reports. Sometimes it was far from obvious what kind of job a particular student would be suited to, given their skills and their personality. So if somebody is described to you as being full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, what would you recommend for such a person? Perhaps an archbishop. Perhaps leading an important church. Maybe just running a house group. So aren't you surprised at the task that the early church assigned to Stephen, who is described as full of faith and of the Holy Spirit? A task described in chapter 6, verse 2, as to wait on tables. Did they make a mistake? Surely he should have had a high profile as a preacher, attending to public prayer and the ministry of the word, which is the role of the apostles in chapter 6, verse 4. So what exactly was it that the apparently overqualified Stephen was being asked to do? We know that from the very beginning, the church in Jerusalem was very attentive to caring for the needy in its midst. And widows 
were a very significant group of the needy. They've been identified as a special group in the Old Testament, and it was a continuing concern of the church. You may recall that Paul wrote at length on the matter to Timothy at the church in Ephesus some 30 years later. But what exactly was the issue which was raised here? Chapter 6, verse 1, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. These two groups, the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, represented a tension in Judaism. There were differences more to do with cultural background rather than language. The Hebraic Jews tended to be conservative in attitudes and practice. The Grecian Jews were a little more relaxed and cosmopolitan, and they felt looked down upon by the Hebraic Jews. So a perception that the Grecian Jewish widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food was bound to provoke grumbling and complaints. So the leaders of the church call a general meeting to propose a solution. Let's look again at verses 2 to 4 of chapter 6. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Now you might wonder why the apostles treated this matter so seriously. In part, I think, it was to ensure that they were released for doing other things. But also because they recognised that a complaint of this kind could easily erupt into a division in the church. And that, of course, would be exploited by their enemies in Jerusalem. Moreover, they recognised that only a group of people known to be full of the spirit and wisdom would be accepted to resolve the tension. So too, in a church like ours, we need men and women who are full of faith and of the Spirit to serve us in practical ways. On the PCC, heading up the Jubilee Project, doing the flowers and the garden, caring for our money and our buildings. We mustn't make the mistake of assuming that these tasks are in some way spiritually inferior. But as we read this morning, there is another aspect to Stephen, this man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, who began to argue with Stephen. What they could not stand up against was the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen arouses opposition from a prominent synagogue uh, of Grecian Jews in Jerusalem. 
It's likely that Stephen, who has a Greek name, used to attend that synagogue. And from time to time, he would, as a Jewish man, have been allowed to speak. And no doubt he took the opportunity to relay the message of Peter and the other apostles. And much to the annoyance of the synagogue leaders, they weren't able to effectively counter him. Events unfolded very quickly. Men are persuaded, bribed perhaps, to accuse Stephen. And so in verses 13 and 14, the accusations are as follows. They produce false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, that's the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. These are precisely the same accusations as were levelled at Jesus, down to the specific detail of the charges. And so Stephen, like Jesus, is arraigned before the Sanhedrin and is invited to defend himself. What follows in chapter 7, which we didn't have read, has often puzzled New Testament scholars. This is a speech which contains no clever arguments, no theological pyrotechnics, no resounding defense of the gospel, and indeed Jesus is only referred to at the very end and then obliquely as the righteous one. Instead, what we have is a recital of key events in the history of Israel such as any reasonably devout Jewish man could recount. But Stephen uses that very familiar story of the Old Testament to make two simple points. First, the temple in Jerusalem was a relatively late innovation in Judaism. The patriarchs and even Moses had functioned perfectly well in relation to God without a temple. And so Stephen concludes his address by saying in 748, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. And second, he notes that their high regard for the law had not been evident in their treatment of Jesus. Look at 7.52. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He touched a raw nerve. And so verse 54 When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. And as was read to us, he is dragged out of the city and brutally stoned to death. As he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So what, what can we learn from this? What Stephen did was he started with what his interlocutors knew very well. 
the history of their nation. And he used that to show that on their own understanding, their lives fell short. Now, few of us, I imagine, will ever have to confront an angry synagogue or a Jewish council charged with blasphemy. So is chapter 7 simply irrelevant to us? Let me make a suggestion. The 2011 census results suggest that we will increasingly be faced with friends and colleagues and neighbours who confidently ticked the no-religion box on the last census form. For such people, any talk about Jesus and the Gospel will fall on completely deaf ears. They were regarded as incomprehensible gobbledygook or something even worse. If we follow the example of Stephen, we need to start where they are. We need to probe their understanding of the world, their moral aspirations, their hopes and fears for the future, and gently but firmly identify their inconsistencies. I have to say that we are not used to that kind of discourse in St Andrews. So we probably need a lot of help to get started. Fortunately, we have the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics in the parish just round the corner. Maybe we should learn from them what we can do. But there was more to Stephen than just his address to the Sanhedrin. Why did he attract such murderous hostility? I fear it was because he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And it showed. It showed in his care for people. Did you notice chapter 6, verse 8? Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Wonders that match those of Jesus, as recorded in Luke's Gospel. It also showed in his demeanour as he spoke, verse 10, that they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And finally, it showed in his face. Verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen was no theoretician. He was a practical man who served tables, resolved a conflict in the church, and spoke directly and bluntly to the Sanhedrin because he was evidently filled with the Spirit. So what does it imply for a person to be full of faith 
and of the Holy Spirit. Few of us could ever be a great preacher like St. Peter, or a great theologian like St. Paul or St. John. Perhaps instead, we should take Stephen as our role model, by the Spirit serving the needy in the church, by the Spirit reaching out to the disadvantaged in the community, by the Spirit understanding those who have no faith and gently pointing out the inconsistencies in their lives. Very few of you will have met Chris Cook, who was a member of this church in the 1980s, long since deceased. His working life had been spent as a CMS missionary, mainly in the Sudan, where he was involved in Christian education and administration for church leaders. It was a low-key role. But he was definitely a man who was full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. He was always open to help anyone and everyone who crossed his path. And wonderfully, like Stephen, it showed in his face. What an inspiration, a challenge he was to each of us who are privileged to know him. The question is, How can we make that happen more often in our church? Let's pray. Our Father God, we pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, equipping us for service in the church and in the community giving us wisdom to understand and deal graciously with unbelievers and enabling your love to show through our faces. In the name of Jesus. Amen.